to the Double Shot of Branding podcast. I am one of the hosts, Michelle. And I'm Caden. <laughs> and we are so excited to start this podcast. We have been wanting to start this podcast for, no joke, over a year. And it has taken us forever to actually put this together. But we are so excited to be here. We are going to be talking about all things branding and website design and giving tips to both designers and business owners. Um, So this first part of this episode is going to be a little bit of an intro to both of us to kind of explain why we're here, who we are, how we know each other. I am Michelle, the owner of Michelle Marie Studio. I specialize in logo design and show it website design. And I work with a huge variety of clients, including photographers, um, wellness owners, bloggers, etc. I'm Caden and I'm the owner of Southern Noble Co. and I specialize in branding and WordPress web des- website design. And Michelle and I met, uh, it's probably been like a year and a half now, right? We joined, randomly connected on Instagram and joined a creative brainstorm session uh, with a few other creatives every week. So we would chat and kind of um, share what was going on in our business. We would have topics we would talk about and Michelle and I just really hit it off. So, um, we became really close and like she said, we've been talking about starting this podcast for so long and we're excited to finally, uh, get on it and see what we can share (laughs) with everybody. Yes, we became business virtual besties who have never met in person. So we are doing this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so we time and video message and text like all the time, but we've literally never met each other. It's kind of funny. (laughs) I guess that's uh, 2021, 21st century for you. Yes, someday. Um, The name A Double Shot of Branding came from both of our loves for coffee and Kaden can attest to this because she's currently drinking a Starbucks cup of coffee. I was 15 minutes late to our our meeting (laughs) I had to get some coffee so I'd say it's pretty important to my work day. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite type of coffee is a iced coffee with almond milk or oat milk. What is yours Kaden? Um, well, I'm kind of basic, so I don't branch out too much, but I do like a white chocolate mocha. I really love, um, the new, what are they called? The cold brews, the iced espressos. No, the cold brew. Is that what a cold brew is? No, no, no. Starbucks has these new shaken iced espressos that are amazing. Oh, I haven't tried that. I did try the brown sugar one that everybody's like, talking about all over social media, but wasn't a big fan. Hmm. Okay. So today we are actually here to talk about the top 10 website design mistakes that business owner make business owners make. Um, so we're just going to go through some design mistakes that we commonly see as designers, whether that be just browsing the internet or when clients come to us to work with us. Um, So a lot of these things are going to be pretty easy for you to change yourself or work on yourself um, in the next few months. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Kaden, go ahead. Yeah. 
So one of the first mistakes that I noticed when I started designing websites was that people um, use a ton of stock photos. So, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with stock, but if you know what I'm talking about, like the very, very typical photos that just look totally fake. And so my clients, they weren't really interested in doing branding and like a brand photography shoot. So they would just want to use these kind of cheesy stock photos. And I quickly realized that there was a big difference in the uh, trust that you can convey and the connection that you can make with your audience when you have custom photography. And honestly, um, stock photography now, especially with technology, there are lots of free sites like Unsplash or Pexels, but the there's always a possibility that somebody could have uploaded that photo, um, you know, illegally. What they don't have the rights to it wasn't their photo, and so then you end up using this photo that you think is free, and the real photographer messages you, and it's a big, huge mess, um, and it, you know, accuses you of copyright, but you didn't even realize, you know, that it was um, a photo you couldn't use because you found it on a free site. So that takes us to paid uh, photography sites, which. There's like iStock, uh, Shutter. What is it? Shutter. Shutterstock. Yeah, Shutterstock. I think Hotstock is super popular with entrepreneurs too. Yeah, so that's more. I would say there's a lot of good styled stock photography um, nowadays, which is great. But the typical, just kind of bad stock, or not bad. I don't want to say bad. But <laughs> Yeah, like very obvious stock. Very obvious that it's stock. Yeah. (laughs) Where it's almost like they photoshopped a person, you know, in front of like a blurry background or whatever. Um, So I also noticed that that was actually really expensive. Like buying one stock photo might be 30, 40, $50. Well, for your website, you need a lot of photos. And so it ended up being almost more expensive than doing your own brand photo shoot. So after I realized that I really started advocating for uh, brand photo shoots and it's a really simple way that you can uh, make a total update to your website and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, also um, this obviously depends on what area you're in but brand photography is not that expensive in my opinion. You can, I've gotten a photo shoot done for $400 before and the photos lasted me for over a year until I felt the need to refresh them again. So if you're able to work that into your budget, um, you will have a much, much better looking website that's super personalized to your brand and won't cost that much when you think about you know, $400 over the course of one to two years. So number two is too much copy on the website. If you are unaware what copy means, it means all the text on your website. So this is pretty common. I see this all the time that there is just so much going on in the website. When you go to a homepage, you see paragraphs and paragraphs of information. Um, You see this a lot on about pages too. I feel like a lot of people like to tell their entire life story on about pages um, when a lot of people don't need your entire life story. So my rule of thumb is to just always keep the copy to a minimum. If you have the ability to work with a copywriter, this is also a really great option for you, but definitely try and stick to the point and get um, get as much information as you can with the most 
with the least amount of words. If you think about, uh, you know, going to a website, you only have seconds to capture somebody's attention. And most people aren't going to want to stay on your website for longer than a minute or two. So you got to convey as much info as possible in the least amount of copy. Yeah, exactly. People scan, they don't read. So the less amount of words you can use, the better. Yeah. Personally, I don't think I've ever read an entire homepage or about page or any page, pages, website from top to bottom. I usually just scan and find what I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. I would agree. Um, so going into that, also the about page, you want to talk more about, we see a lot of clients, like Michelle said, um, want to turn it into their whole life story. Say I was born here. This is, you know, my, where I grew up, what I did, what I went to school for. And a lot of times, especially, um, I know Michelle and I work with a lot of small businesses, a lot of time, even me included, like I have a degree in history and I do graphic design. So that's completely irrelevant to, um, my field. So on my about page, I'm not going to say, oh, I went to so-and-so college and got a history degree because it's not relevant to what I'm doing and how I can help my clients. So the about page really needs to be more, it's actually needs to be less about you and more about um, your qualifications as far as how you can help your client, what they get with your process, how maybe how your process is different or unique um, instead of your bio and how you'd like to take long walks on a beach. <laughs> right. And there's definitely ways to still describe more about you, but then spin it. I don't want to say spin it, but, but then still talk about how you can help the client. So I'm passionate about organization for your home because I have two little messy kids running around and I'm so excited to help you and I can help you because so now you're introducing the fact that you have a family, but you're also talking to them about how you can help them and their family. Definitely. There's ways you can put your personality into it without being um, obnoxious <laughs> and yes. irrelevant, I guess. <laughs> okay. So that was the third mistake. The fourth mistake that we see is making every call to action lead to the contact page or just your booking form. So the reason that you don't want to do this is because you don't want people to immediately go to their website and then hit your contact form because your website's kind of telling a story. So you want them to go through the different pages that you have. So the about page, the services page, maybe your blog page before they hit to the contact form. So maybe on your about page, um, you have a little tiny sentence or two about you. And then you have a button that says, learn more about me or learn more about my services. So you want to take viewers on this little journey throughout your website so that they're learning as much information about you as possible. So then they're more likely to contact you. If you are taking them directly to your contact form immediately, they might go and see the price or whatever and decide not to contact you um, because they just don't know enough about you. Yeah, they're just not ready. So not everybody that visits your site is going to be a repeat visitor. And so you have to design your site as if it's a new person coming every time and you want to explain your information. So um, I think Michelle explained it pretty good. The next one 
is um, not having enough information and then not organizing your website in a storytelling type of way, which also depends on your uh, on the business. If you're a big, huge corporation, obviously you're not going to have um, this very personal story as to why your business does what it does. Um, but you not, if you might not have a lot of info either, if you are a store that sells physical products, like yeah. compared to a service provider. Yeah, definitely. Um, but typically people, they do an about page services, blog and contact page, and then that's it. But there's a lot of different other pages that you can add in there to explain, answer questions, um, that people typically have and just provide more information resources. Um, for example, I was looking for a print printing company and we all know how hard it is to find a, a good printer. Well, every printing company just basically has a little page for each type of thing they do, but they don't have any information about necessarily the type of paper that they have, um, all the customization options. And so last night I was just scrolling through all these websites, trying to find more information as to what kind of paper I would even need and what they looked like because they might have that information, but I have no idea because that's not my industry. So you want to make sure that you have enough information to explain things, especially if they're like industry uh, words or topics, because your client probably has no idea what, um, cotton paper looks like, for example. So um, you always wanna just make sure that you have a lot of information because your website should be doing work, the marketing for you. Yep. Okay, I think we're on number six now. Yes. So number six mistake is not having a blog. Um, I think a blog can be super overwhelming to a business first starting out because they have no idea what to talk about. But, and if you are one of these person, a quick tip that I have for you is to write down every sort of DM or message that you get from a potential client asking you a question and make a blog post into it. So for instance, if I got a DM that said, um, I don't understand the full brand package. Why do I need all these different types of logos involved as opposed to just the main logo? I might write that question down and then make a note to make a blog post about it later. But blog posts are super important for SEO purposes. You are not going to find a ton of people or majority of your people on social media. You also want to have a presence online as well. So I think the biggest example that I can give for this is you want to have content to post um, on Pinterest and then also to have show up in Google search results. So if somebody was searching, why do I need all these different types of logos, <laughs> probably in a more concise question, then hopefully my blog post would show up for that person on Google. Or if somebody was searching that same question on Pinterest, hopefully my blog post would show up on Pinterest as well. Take them to my website and catch their eye, maybe have a link to a freebie in one of the blog posts, and then they're on my email list. Kate and yeah. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I work with um, clients ongoing too and help them with their blog posts, editing them for SEO stuff and creating the graphics. 
And it definitely is so helpful for your business from a marketing perspective, because like she said, when you Google something, like there's a chance your blog post could come up. It's also really helpful for client, like customer service, because I don't know about you, but I find myself repeating almost the same things like all the time with my clients and answering the same questions. And so if you have a blog post, instead of taking 20 minutes to type out an email and explaining something, you can just say, send the link and say, here's, you know, the information that you're, that you're needing. So it's really helpful from two, two different standpoints. It's also just really good for content creation. I can think of a couple of clients that I have that I um, work with them for social media management. And if I didn't have blog posts, I would have no idea what to post to their social media accounts because I can take snippets out of that blog post and then just link it at the end of the um, Instagram or the Facebook post. And then that's also driving people to the website more. Yeah. And you can also monetize it too. Um, the clients that I work with, we've monetized their blog now. So we do affiliate marketing and we do collaborations with brands and stuff. And so that's been really fun too. And uh, they've both had a lot of um, companies reach out to them that are pretty big. Um, one of my clients has worked with, she's a wedding planner and she's worked with Zola, which is a huge uh, wedding registry and uh, informational site. And so, but she would never have, you know, received those collaborations, those opportunities if she didn't, ha if she wasn't blogging. And so you can also monetize it in other ways too, which can kind of create some, I say passive income, but we all know passive income is not really passive. There's a lot of work that goes into it. <laughs> yes. Blogging is huge for photographers. I have noticed it can get you a lot of traction to be featured on some of those websites like the not. Mm -hmm. um, not having call to actions. So we talked about earlier about how um, it's a mistake to make every call to action lead to your contact page. And it's also another mistake to not include any call to actions at all, or to maybe only include one at the very bottom of your page. Um, I think when we were talking earlier, we kind of explained it pretty well, but you want to uh, navigate your visitor through your site and you do that with call to actions and call to actions are basically just a, um, uh, assertive, not assertive, but like a directional statement that says that leads them to the next page or the next section of information that they might be interested in. And it's usually like a kind of a catchy short phrase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can get pretty creative with call to actions too. I've seen some fun ones that people have done. Um, okay. The eighth website design mistake is having a contact form that's too long. So the reason that this is bad is because you can lose people's attention if your contact form is too long. So a lot of times you'll probably just think of a contact form as asking for somebody's name, email, um, what kind of service they want, and then like a free message box. But we have definitely seen some contact forms that are super long, so maybe you're a photographer and you start asking right away in the contact form, how many people are in their bridal party, um, how many grandparents there are, how many parents there are, how many extended family members you have, what are the colors of your wedding? And you go through and ask all of these things on your contact um, form page. Well, a lot of people Besides the fact of getting overwhelmed at so many questions, maybe they just wanted to reach out to you for a quick question that they had about your pricing and they weren't ready 
to input all this information, or maybe they just haven't planned any part of that, that part of their wedding yet. And they were reaching out to photographers first to kind of get some pricing information. So I always like to tell my clients to just keep their contact form super short and concise. There's obviously going to be some questions that you need to ask beyond the typical name and email, but try to keep it, you know, under, I don't know, five questions, I would say. Yeah. There's definitely a fine line between overwhelming your visitor and then not having enough information where it's just the name, the email, and a a message. Mm -hmm. You want to make the contact form worthwhile for you so that when they contact you, you know exactly what they're wanting from you, maybe where they're at in the the booking process. I've seen some good contact or some cool contact forms that have um, a drop-down question that says, you know, like, where are you at? And it's, I'm just, you know, getting quotes or I'm really Mm, ready to book you know, whatever. And so just be thoughtful um, in your questions. And like Michelle said, just get the ones that you absolutely need and don't ask all these crazy other ones. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just my personality, but I kind of hate the the questions. It's like, um, they ask like really ridiculous things about like what they would choose or like, oh, would you be a unicorn or just oh like the kind of questions? And I'm like, that's just not my personality. And I'm like, I just need a freaking quote. So, or I just, yeah, you know, I need to get some more information. Like, I think this is definitely um, a larger point for the wedding industry as well, because so many brides are price shopping. Unfortunately, that's just how the wedding industry works because weddings mm-hmm. are so freaking expensive. So they're trying to contact, you know, five to six different um, photographers, caterers, wedding cake people, you know, so they are looking for like the quickest and fastest way to contact all of these people. So less questions, the better. And (laughs) your question made me think of um, a question that I've seen on photographers forms before that's like, how would you describe your dream wedding? And they want you to write words like whimsical and dreamy (laughs) and stuff like that. And that was totally not me getting married. I was just like, I'm just getting married. I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. I have a very like dry personality, very dry sense of humor. I'm very like matter of fact. So all that kind of like ridiculous stuff like that. I'm like, really? I just need a quote. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the next mistake we see a lot um, is not adding, uh, so SEO is search engine optimization. And what it is basically is Google um, and search engines, but let's be real, everybody just uses Google. Um, They have this algorithm that figures out based, it reads your website and based on the content that you have on your website, when people type in the search bar, um, it, that's how it determines the results, what pops up. And so there's a lot of things that go into SEO, which will be like 10 million episodes <laughs> of podcasts. There's so much, um, that goes into that. And there's a lot of things that change constantly, but something that we see that can be easily fixed is not adding, um, alt text to images. And this is especially important now with the, um, the importance of like ADA So you want your website for people who have disabilities, you want them to be able to access it. And companies have gotten in trouble lately because their websites are not completely ADA compliant 
and they've gotten sued. So it's not necessarily something you really have to worry about, I think, as a, a really small business owner. But if you're starting to blow up and so you don't necessarily, I mean, you have to worry about it and you should worry about it. It should be important to you to make sure that your website is usable for everybody. But um, if you're getting big, that's something you definitely want to look into. So anyway, so a mistake people make is not adding the alt text to images. So when you upload your image to your website, there's a little section for the SEO stuff. And when you're saving your images, you don't want to just leave like the image 24567. You want to rename it to whatever the image is. If you're if it's a blog post, you rename it to the blog post topic. Um, because Google also uses images to provide search results. So that alt text, that alt text um, works in two ways for SEO and then also for um, ADA. So people with disabilities can still read the know what the images are. Yep. Um, did you talk about page descriptions at all? Oh, no. So that's kind of falls into the same topic, page descriptions. Um, for every page on your website, you can customize the description that shows up in Google. And so you want to make sure that you're doing that and customizing it to what is on the page and not just necessarily letting it uh, automate itself or populate, I guess, because it'll just pull the first, you know, 160 characters of whatever the first words are on the page. So we'll do a full episode on SEO later on in the podcast. Um, but basically the point that we're trying to make is a lot of people neglect SEO when building their websites and like literally just don't even think about it. Don't add all text to their images or descriptions on each page. So at least try to make sure that you're doing the bare minimum when it comes to upkeep on your website. Yeah, that's something that you can easily do. You can update all your images with mm -hmm. the correct alt text. Okay, and then the last website design mistake that we have is not clearly explaining your services or where you're located. I just gotta say this <laughs> really quick, but it really pisses me off when I go to somebody's website and I have no idea where they're located, especially if it's a location-based service. So I see this all the time on photographers' websites. And most of the time I find a photographer on Instagram, they do not have their location located in their Instagram bio. I go to their website. I that too. <laughs> they don't have their- like, Where are you at? I don't know you. <laughs> yeah. They don't have their location anywhere on their website, not in their about page, not in their website footer. I just have no idea where they're located. I can kind of guess based on the photos, like, oh, they're probably in Arizona somewhere, but I don't know where. And it just really bothers me. Just put the location on your website, at least in your footer. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people think that they need to not have the location because oh, I'm a virtual service, so I can serve everybody. So I don't want to like pigeonhole myself to this one city, but that is not true. There's so many different ways that you can explain that you work virtually and you can help anybody in any state or country. I mean, I live in New Orleans and on my website, I could easily say located in New Orleans, but serving clients all around the world. Yeah, definitely always put where you're based, even if you have maybe multiple locations or 
And that's another yeah. thing. So if you are a service, a local service-based business, say um, a fencing company or a plumber or something, I've done websites for those types of stuff clients. Um, for SEO purposes, you also want to basically have a page that says like locations you serve and then literally list all of the surrounding uh, locations. So I'm in Tulsa. So um, I did a local fence company last summer, their branding and website. And so we created a page and we put Tulsa, Broken Arrow, Jinx, Bixby, Sand Springs, literally all of the town, the surrounding towns of Tulsa. That way, if somebody in, you know, Broken Arrow or another town that's basically a suburb of Tulsa is searching for that, um, they'll pop up in the search results. That is a good point to make too, because there are some people who are going to be searching for like web designers, for instance, on Google and not on Instagram. So they might go to Google and search Tulsa web designer. And if Kaden didn't have Tulsa located on her website somewhere, she would not be populated in Google at all, even though she is located in Tulsa um, and serves clients all over the world as well. So it's always a good idea to just have your location in there. It's not going to like prevent you from negatively affect you. Yeah. Elsewhere. It's going to help you trust this. And then services. So I really think that you should have an individual page for each of your services, because even though they might all be, you know, similar, for example, I do website design and branding. So on my services page, I have a branding package. I have just a website package. And then I have a website and branding package. I could just leave it all on one page. Um, and depending on your business, that might work, but it's um, more mine's all on one page. <laughs> Yours is? <laughs> yes. So I guess I need to listen to this advice. <laughs> well, every business is different. So also keep that yeah, in mind. Sure. I know that my website needs some improvements for sure. So um, we don't even want to talk about my website. You were just saying, <laughs> like, we didn't have Tulsa in her website. And I'm thinking, I think my, my website still says I'm in South Carolina. <laughs> okay. Kaden's website is archaic, literally. She literally. We're giving out website advice and we don't even follow our own advice. Who are we? Oh my gosh. Well, hopefully by the time this podcast launches, it will be finally updated, but it's like a five-year project. I I keep telling myself, gosh, I got to update it, but then, you know, clients come first. So if I have to, you know, work on a client project, it is very side note, we're getting off track here, but it is very hard as a designer to keep your own website design perfect and up to date because we put all of our creative energy every single day into other clients' websites. So last thing we want to do is like work on our own website. So, I mean, that's not an excuse, okay? Because every business owner is super busy, no matter what business they're in. But that's just the excuse I'm going to give us for today. Yes, yes. And it's a lot harder to do your own work. Your your hardest critic. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I always second guess all the decisions I make for my own stuff. I can design somebody else's brand, no problem, and come up with all these ideas. But then when it comes to my own, I'm, I'm like, uh, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> But back to the service pages. So on Michelle's website, she has all of her information on one page, which is totally fine. But you can also expand on that and create a separate page that has maybe a little bit more information. Because if you have multiple services and you do have them all on one page, you're probably not 
explaining or giving a lot of information, as much information as you maybe could. So that's where a separate page would come in handy. So you can just kind of explain more uh, specific details. And it doesn't even have to be public, honestly. Like if you wanted to create separate pages for each of your packages, um, but just have one page with all your information on your website, you can still send that link to your client or a potential client um, instead of, you know, typing, having a PDF or typing out a big long email. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, this was a very successful first episode of a double shot of branding. The next few episodes are going to be super exciting as well. We're going to be talking about day in the life, um, how to find the right designer to work with, finding your ideal client, and so much more good stuff. And we are going to be having some guest experts on as well to hopefully talk about copy, SEO, lots of other fun stuff. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you next time.